Thanks for having me here today. I um, just wanted to give you a little bit about who I am. Like Josh said, um, I am a pastor of liturgy, of teaching at Cornerstone Christian Fellowship. I've been there for about eight years. I got saved at Cornerstone in 98, 99, and then I moved away to the West Coast to get married and uh, start a family, and then we moved back here about eight years ago. Um, this, is, this is my wife, Naomi. Uh, these are uh, Eden and Lana. Uh, six and four, respectively. Um, we live in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Um, we were, we're a healthy and growing family, and we decided, Naomi and I, we wanted to try for a third baby. And so last, the end of last year, we tried for a third baby, and the Lord said, well, we're going to give you two babies. And so we had twins. <laughs> and so we had twin girls. So this is Davy and Scout, uh, or their nicknames. Uh, Alice and Aubrey are, are their legal names. So that's the Boyer family. Um, a little bit about my background. I grew up in a Methodist church, but it was more so that my grandma uh, dragged me into the Methodist church, but it was, it was still a, a good time. I was an alkalite, one of those boys that come with the, the wick and everything and do the candles. And one time the wick got stuck and I freaked out because I thought I was, I was just done, like I was going to get yelled at and stuff like that. There was there was a lot of fun times there, but I didn't, I knew, I was learning about the Lord there. I didn't know the Lord yet, is how I put it in the story of, of who I am in my uh, journey with Jesus. And uh, in 1997, uh, stuff kind of hit the fan where my girlfriend uh, died in a car accident. And when she died in this car accident, that made me question all of these supposedly Christian beliefs I had in my viewpoint perspective about who God was, his goodness, um, the lack of his goodness, why bad stuff happens to good people, and all this other stuff. There was kind of Christianese language and not really the heart of the gospel or who Jesus actually is. Um, and so through a period of grieving, I checked out some other religions, mostly uh, Eastern mysticism, uh, Buddhism, Taoism, that kind of stuff. A little bit of Wiccan just to throw into the pot. It was more so I was just looking for what the heck is going on in life, you know what I mean? Um, through a series of events that were both um, enlightening and also really hard. Uh, I, I went to college in Bloomsburg for a semester. I, I went to a, a movie called Instinct. Has anybody seen the movie Instinct? It was with uh, Cuba Good Gooding Jr. and Anthony Hopkins. Has anybody seen that? It's like, anyway, it's about this man that lives with apes. And then uh, he comes in and there's all this, all this stuff. And at one part of the movie, uh, Anthony Hopkins, who is a doctor, he grabs the other doctor, the psychiatrist, and puts him in this like chokehold death lock. And he's kind of teaching him something. He's teaching, uh, I forget what he calls him, but he's teaching this, this young psychiatrist something. And the young uh, psychiatrist keeps writing these things down because Anthony Hopkins is like, what did I take away from you right there? What am I taking away? And first he writes control. You took away control. And Anthony Hopkins takes the piece of paper and rips it off. He's like, no, you did not. And then he, he says, okay, I'll give you another chance. And then he writes, and then he writes down um, freedom. You took my freedom away while because while, he's, he's about to snap his neck. And he says, no, you did not. One last time, life or death, all the chips are in. And what he ends up writing, which is the truth, is that what um, Anthony Hopkins took from this young psychiatrist was his illusions of control and his illusions of freedom. And there was something in that that spoke deeply to me that I believe God spoke deeply to me. And that was kind of a, a catalyst, a movie, a secular movie, was the catalyst of me saying, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. 
and hearing his call in my life to come follow him, to take up my cross and follow him. And that was kind of the, even though I was in church all those years before, that was kind of the defining moment of when Jesus and I, um, I started walking with Christ. And so that was in 1999. So I've been a Christian for about uh, 16 years. Is that right? Something like that. So that's a little bit about me, my story. Um, again, thanks for having me in grace, especially for the second service. I'm not used to the second service. So I might, uh, if I fall over or anything, it's, you know, normal. So don't worry. Um, so today we're going to be talking about, um, we're going to be in Isaiah 6. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Isaiah 6. And we're going to be talking about and looking at when the Lord is and when the Lord is not our strength. Um, kind of specifically in worship, but worship defined generally with our posture and life towards God. So when the Lord is and is not our strength is what we're going to be looking at today, Isaiah 6. And the first few words, the first sentence of Isaiah 6 is this, in the year that King Uzziah died. In the year that King Uzziah died. And sometimes in scripture, especially in the Old Testament, we hear these king names or we hear these important people names for the purpose of, well, when was this happening? Like what time frame was this happening in? But there's a couple times where it's actually really important theologically that we know about this man, about uh, Uzziah. And this is one of those places. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a couple of minutes and look at his heritage because what happens in his heritage and in his story is directly compared and contrasted to Isaiah 6. And it's this really beautiful thing that kind of opens up the text and the scripture and the word of God to us by looking at the background of, of who uh, Uzziah is. So I'm going to pray and then we'll get, we'll get to work. God, thanks for this morning. Thanks for Parker Ford Church. Um, I pray that you would speak to us your word today, that you would open our ears, that we would hear, that you would open our minds, expand our minds, enlarge our hearts today, God. Um, as Corey was singing that one song, I was thinking about how the high places, uh, we're going to be talking about the high places in scripture where uh, idol worship uh, happens and how those high places are still very true today that we go to these places uh, to worship someone other than you, God. Um, and you desire to take those down. And in some, in some regards, those high places aren't high enough because you're so high, God, that your ways are so far above our ways. Your ways are not our ways, God. So we, we seek to learn your ways. We seek to receive your ways. And in the places where our hearts are stubborn, where our, our necks are stiff, we ask for the grace of Christ to um, Work, work in us, that his blood would work in us, that his grace would work in us to see you more for who you are. So may your word go out. Uh, we know it will not return void. And we thank you for who you are. And we pray, pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died. All of us come from somewhere. Okay, so it's very common in our day and age to think that we are an island unto ourselves, that I'm a self-made man, you're a self-made woman, that um, we don't really have a past, even though we know we do, or that past doesn't really affect us, or maybe we don't want that past to affect us in the way that we do. But all throughout scripture, and if we actually open our eyes to around here, those things are real. The things of the past affect who we are today. So like my grandparents and my parents, for better or for worse, the way that the, the beliefs that they had, the things that they did, the um, goodness that they showed in their lives and also the idolatry that they committed is part of my story. 
that I am not uh, an island unto myself, and I'm going to struggle in some way with those things. It might not be exactly how they struggled with them or with that idolatry, but it's going to affect me one way or another. And the great thing about faith in Christ is that those things, those what we would call generational curses, can be cut off in Christ, can be cut off in Jesus. But that is still a true statement. Who I am now is a reflection one way or another of my past. Just like with my kids, with my four girls, I'm going to pass some goodness along to them. I'm also going to pass some junk along to them too. And so I pray that they would have their own junk to deal with and not just my junk. But the whole point of that is, is that heritage matters. You inherit things, not physical things, which we do, but spiritual things also. That um, I am dealing with not only my stuff, but the stuff that came before me. As a church, you should also consider that, right? Because in 20 years from now, whatever you're doing now, whatever you're building into, whether it's building into the kingdom or building into self, that that is somehow going to affect the future of Parker Ford, which you might never see. But the prayers that you're praying, that you're praying, the prayers that you are praying matter. The way that you are walking in faith and in love matter for the future of the church, even to generations that you don't know, that you won't know, that you'll never come face to face with. And so in looking at Isaiah 6 and looking at who uh, Uzziah was, I want to uh, look at his heritage. So we're going to look at his great Grammy first. Okay, his great Grammy was uh, Athaliah. And she was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Now, as soon as you hear the word Jezebel, you should know that things are going to go wrong with her. Okay, she was uh, one of the um, pagan queens that married into the northern kingdom. Again, the kingdom was divided. Uh, God's kingdom was divided into Judah of the south and Israel of the north. She married into Ahab. Um, she brought in uh, Baal worship, uh, worship of idols. She, she not only brought that in, but she also killed the prophets of the Lord. Um, and so there's a lot of blood in her, in her background. And this, uh, Athaliah was the daughter of Ahab and, and Jezebel. And um, what she did to get her throne, Athaliah, was that um, she actually killed, once her husband and her uh, son were dead, she actually killed all of her grandkids or all of her step-grandkids in order to obtain the throne. So there's a lot of bloodshed. Um, in, in this picture of who this woman was. And she actually reigned um, for six years until there was found that Yoash, which was one of her grandsons, was actually alive. And then what happened there is that Yoash took over the throne, and this would be Uzziah's grandfather, and uh, um, Athaliah was put to death. And with Yoash, the people that saved Yoash were actually Yohida uh, and Yehosheba, and Yohida uh, was a priest. And the priest and his wife saved uh, Yoash. And when they did that, when they saved him, they kept him away for six years, 13 years. I forget what it was. I think it was six years waiting for this time. And after he became king, Yoash became king, there was this revival almost. There was this reformation of who the people of God were supposed to be. And so this pagan worship, these high places, and this worship that was brought into the temple was reformed. The priesthood was reformed. It was coming back to temple worship rather than going out and kind of worshiping on your own little place. It was supposed to be at the temple, and that was a point of reformation. And so worship actually started to flow in the way it was supposed to flow. Reformation happened not only for the land, but for the people under Yoash's uh, um, reign. But then as it happens, Yehida, uh, the priest, died. And then Yoash kind of lost his anchor. 
that there's people in our lives that anchor us to the Lord a lot of times. Sometimes we listen to them, sometimes we don't. And what happened is that when Yoash lost um, this anchor to the Lord, he started to listen not to God's voice. What he started to listen to was the voices around him of men that weren't actually seeking after God. He started to listen to voices that were more um, about self than they were about God's kingdom. They were more about protecting and prevailing their own kingdom than God's kingdom. And so what happened is that under the reign of Yoash, towards the latter half of his reign, um, stuff went south. Worship of idols came back. Um, there was this prophet, Zechariah, Zechariah, not the Zechariah from scripture, but Zechariah, which was Yehida's son. And Zechariah's like, you need to stop this. You need to reform. You need to remember what we've been through. You need to go back to the reformation that you started and not go after these other gods, not go after the ways of man, but go after God himself. But he wouldn't listen to him. And so Yoash killed Zechariah. And if, if you've been listening and following the story, that's this tragic iniquity, right? Because uh, Yohida, the priest, saved Yoash from death from his, from his grandma. And how does Yoash repay the priest? By killing his son that was trying to speak tr- truth to him. And so there's this real deep iniquity in this where he was saved by um, this prophet's father and to repay him, he's going to end up killing um, this, the priest's son, Zechariah. And there's this real iniquity in this. And so the servants saw this iniquity, and they ended up con- uh, having a conspiracy against him and ended up killing Yoash, which brought Amaziah, his son, or the father of Uzziah. Remember, this is spiritual heritage again, uh, into the picture. And one of the first things he did is that he avenged his father's death. Some of the other things that he did, um, he went and he conquered other lands, which was a good thing. But the problem was, is that when he conquered those other lands, he actually brought back idols from those other lands to worship. It wasn't just go, conquer what you're supposed to conquer, let lie and, and, and kill what was supposed to be killed. But he actually brought back more and more idol worship into the people of God. More and more idolatry of high places, more and more worship of foreign gods rather than the one true living God. He also had a prophet that spoke to him, a different Zechariah. And do you think he listened to the prophet? No. And so there's this, this kind of repetition in this storyline, uh, one of bloodshed, uh, but also of idolatry, one way or another, a big idolatry running through this bloodline. And again, what are the things that I, Justin Boyer, are going to be passing off to my kids? What are the things that I know are in my life, but that I either don't believe in the cross of Christ enough, or um, I'm just blinded to them, that my kids are going to struggle with? Because they're going to struggle with that stuff one way or another. And I'm gonna, am I going to be courageous enough and tender enough to deal with those things, as the Lord calls me to? Are you going to be courageous enough in the power of the Lord and the strength of the Lord to deal with those things? Even if you don't have kids, and even if you never have kids, your presence affects the people around you. Don't, don't think it doesn't. You might say to yourself, like, well, I don't really have influence in somebody's life. You have influence one way or another in the people around you. So don't take that victim spirit like it doesn't really matter. Um, I can just kind of go about my business. You are not an island unto yourself. And the stuff that you've inherited, we will pass along. And again, thinking about that as a church, what are we going to pass along to the next generation, both big church-wide, but then also here at Parker Ford or at Cornerstone? What are the things we're building into? 
So that's kind of the spiritual heritage of Uzziah, which brings us to Uzziah himself. Um, Uzziah was a pretty famous king. He reigned for 52 years, which is one of the longest reigns um, in in, uh, um, the history of Israel. And we're going to see that Uzziah's reign was pretty successful. And it's not that his grandparents or his father had a bad reign overall. Like, listen to what the scripture says. It says, Yoash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So his grandfather, Uzziah's grandfather, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord because Yehida, the priest, instructed him. Nevertheless, which is a big word here, nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. The people continued to sacrifice and make offerings on the high places. So there's this, this thought here that Yoash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not, not wholeheartedly. Same thing with Amaziah. Amaziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not like David, his father. He did what, uh, the things that Yoash, his father, had done, but the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. And so Uzziah's dad and his, um, his granddad, they weren't horrible kings, but they walked in some core iniquities that really affected the land, their own lives, and also the heritage that they were leaving behind. And it's interesting to think about the idea of uh, doing what is right in the Lord's eyes and yet not following him with your whole heart. Doing what is right in the Lord's eyes, but yet not following him with your whole heart. It reminds me of the proverb that talks about, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, where does it lead? You can actually answer that. Where does it lead? Death, destruction. There's a way that seems right to us. It doesn't say there's a way that seems knowably sinful that will lead to destruction. There's kind of this like uh, this smoke screen, you know? It seems right to us, and yet it ultimately leads to death and destruction. Or it reminds me this idea of... Uh, uh, Matthew 7, where uh, Jesus is talking about that there's these people that will come to him that's saying, like, Lord, look at me. I did this awesome thing over here. I um, healed people in your name, Jesus. I casted out demons in your name. And Jesus didn't even deny that they did those things, nor do those things in his name. But what does Jesus then say to those people? He says, depart from me, you workers of evil, for I do not know you. So what does it mean when we um, are following, uh, doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord, which is a good thing, but our heart is not fully postured towards God? Our eyes are not fully on him. Like we're kind of doing the external thing. We might have the right Christianese. We might have the, the right scriptures that we can pull out. Um, we might have this and that uh, good works to show. But what about our heart of worship towards God. And when I say heart of worship, I don't mean just musical worship, but our heart of obedience to who the Father is and us kneeling before the cross and seeing his holiness and seeing who he really is. What does it mean for you, Parker Ford, to follow God wholeheartedly in your life as a church, not just uh, doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Again, that's a good thing. That's a good thing but that there's this holistic and whole approach to your life of faith that God and Jesus are calling you into, calling me into further and further. So Uzziah's success. He was a stud as far as a king goes for the most part. Um, He did all of these things for the people and for the land. So he built cities and he expanded territories. He overcame the Philistines and the Philistines were uh, God's uh, enemy all throughout most of the Old Testament. And his fame spread anywhere. So he was popular. 
He was this popular guy where over in that land, in this land, and even right here in the land of the people of God, he was known and he was famous for his ruling, um, his ruling ways and the way that he uh, uh, governed the people. He rebuilt uh, what his father's choices had destroyed. One of the things that Amaziah, his father, did is that he went and uh, went against Israel and Israel came back and actually destroyed part of the city. Um, and Amaziah uh, had destruction in their own hometown because of Amaziah's de- decisions. And what did Uzziah do? He took those places that his father destroyed and he rebuilt them, which is a really beautiful picture of maybe something that you're called to, maybe something that I'm called to. That thing that where is our heritage, uh, maybe stripped down something, but the Lord is saying, I want you to go and I want you to rebuild that by the grace and love of Christ. I want you to rebuild that thing that was taken uh, away in the past because it was a good thing. It was a good thing. He um, rebuilt, like I said, um, what his father's choices destroyed, developed agriculture, created jobs. He uh, uh, was a lover of the land, the text says, and so he would make these cisterns that would be great for irrigation and so that the land could flourish and could be cultivated more and more in the area that um, he reigned. He also organized and equipped his army, both offensively and defensively. So he had these innovations and he had these inventors create these things that would both not only enable them to uh, be offensive, but also to protect his people. Like he cared about protecting his people, not just sending them to war with the right bows and the arrows, but also protecting them with armor. And so again and again, we see that um, he did what a good king should do, that he helped the land and the people to prosper. He helped them to flourish, but he also defiled the land. Uzziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, a different Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. As long as Uzziah sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And so what, for 48 years, I don't know, he sought the Lord and everything was prosperous. But then his eyes turned. Then his eyes turned. The next sentence, nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. And here's this interesting and tragic thing that uh, Uzziah's heritage had this worship on the high places that were maybe taken down for a little bit, that were, but they were a consistent point of idolatry and of death and of not following the one true uh, living God. And those high places from his heritage then became an inner place of idolatry for Uzziah. So it wasn't that he was necessarily looking at those high places in idolatry. What ended up happening is that his idols were not those things. His idols were in and of himself, his success, his own strength. And so like today, we don't necessarily uh, worship little, little uh, physical idols anymore. I mean, maybe we do. Maybe our cell phones, we worship them a little bit or TVs. But usually we don't think, when we think of idols, that is like old school, so to speak. But there's always these idols of our heart, of trusting in our own strength, of trusting in the ways of man over the ways of God. And so what ends up happening, if you want to flip over to Second Chronicles 26, this records Uzziah's fall. This records him um, eventually turning away from God and turning inward on himself in a very tragic way. I'm going to start in verse 16, 2 Chronicles 26. 
So it talks about in the previous verse, and his fame, Uzziah's fame, spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong, which is an interesting phrase, till he was strong. It wasn't that he was strong and he did well. It was that like the Lord gave him his strength. But then when he realized he was strong, that's where things go south. Verse 16, but when Uzziah was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah, the priest, went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, King Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the son of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will be, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. So there, even Uzziah had a had a, a place of repentance that he could have chosen to repent. That he was doing that he was overstepping his boundary as a king. And this priest, along with eighty other priests, came, and were like, "You're doing something wrong. Get get out of here." before something happens. But what was, what was his response? Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on the forehead of him in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest and all the priests looked at him and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly and he himself heard to go out because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And so there's this this thing here where he overstepped his boundaries. And so as we look at in the year that King Uzziah died, his story, both of his success and of his ultimate coming to this point of pride and destruction and failure, would have been in the minds of the people as they were hearing Isaiah in Isaiah 6. And so what we have here in worship is that Uzziah is coming and he's coming into worship on his own terms. He's coming into worship trying to conjure up worship. He's saying, you know what? I'm a good king. I can can do what these guys do. Why why shouldn't I? Even even though there was very clear uh, roles, especially in ancient Israel, about who was to do what and why they were to do that. But Uzziah comes in full of pride, full of arrogance, and tries to conjure up this worship. And then the response in that, when he tries to conjure it up, and the priests come and they say, no, this is not your place to do this, and the Lord will not accept this. And then Uzziah gets angry. But who else gets angry in the story? God gets angry. And so what's the result then of this conjured man-made worship that Uzziah, that Uzziah brings into the house of the Lord that he gets angry about? that leprosy strikes him on the forehead and separation happens. And so it's, it's ironic that the fact that he comes into the house of the Lord to perform his own rites of worship, to be one way or another closer to the Lord, and yet because he came into the house of the Lord wrongly, the opposite happened, that he wasn't closer to the Lord. In fact, the leprosy for the rest of his life would separate him from the house of the Lord because he thought he could go in and do worship on his own terms. Because look how great I am. Look how great I am, people. Look at me. 
I'm up here in front of you talking words and you're all listening. Woo! So I probably deserve this or that or the other thing because I've been giving this position, not that I didn't even ask for it, somebody offered to me. And so this is what's in the minds of the people, this idea of conjuring up worship, the idea of uh, Uzziah was successful all throughout his reign. Yeah, there were spots. But then at the end of his life, what happened? He was ultimately a failure to some regards because he didn't lead the people of God to, to where they should be in their hearts towards the one living God. And they, he was more so uh, propitiating a, a type of narcissism that if you do things well, even if it's on the Lord's strength, you can then take up certain rights and privileges rather than receiving the goodness and the grace of God and what he has called you in to do. So then it goes into Isaiah's epiphany of the Lord. So now go back to Isaiah 6 and now look at this contrast of Isaiah's uh, revelation of who God is compared to Uzziah's, Uzziah's life. So in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I, Isaiah, said, Woe is me, for I am lost, and I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And uh, Isaiah would have been a pretty righteous guy. He would have been a righteous prophet. He wasn't perfect, but he would have been righteous. But yet, when we see the the, the Lord, when we see God in his actual set-apart, sanctified holiness, in this vision, in this this epiphany, in this theophany of who God is, it it doesn't compare to any kind of righteousness in and of ourselves. Because he's so far above all of that, that his beauty is so magnified beyond what we can comprehend, that his supremacy, him being king, being on the throne. His rule is so high, so far higher and above what we can think. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, to Isaiah, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth. He touched Isaiah's mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then he gets into Isaiah's commission. And so what we have here is we have this setup of contrasting uh, ways of entering into worship. Where Uzziah was on man's terms to try to conjure it up, Isaiah entered into what was already happening. That it was God's holiness was, that was the center of his worship. And when he came into that place, he wasn't like, oh man, I can't believe I get to experience this and these other jokers don't. No, he was He was humbled. He said, woe is me because I've seen this king whose glory is magnificent and I am a person of unclean lips and I'm among a people of unclean lips. I'm going to die because of his holiness. And yet out of that humility, what comes? Atonement comes. That the angel flies and takes the coal and touches his lips and takes away his guilt. And we remember the blood of Christ that washes over us and forgives us. And out of that, out of that place of humility, out of that place of being clean, he is then called. 
but his calling is pretty crazy. Verse 9, Isaiah 6, verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, then Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to the people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes, sorry, and their ears heavy and blind their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. That's an awesome calling. So he's basically saying, I want you to take your head and I want you to find something hard. Let's say this brick right here. And I just want you to bash your head against the wall over and over again. Because what I'm giving you, I'm going to ask you to speak this word to the people and they will not listen to you. Great. We all, we all want to call from God Almighty. We all want to uh, have um, some kind of mission that we're influencing others and stuff. What if God is calling you to beat your head against a wall over and over again? This was Isaiah's calling. And it was a good calling because it was a calling of obedience. It was a far-reaching calling that wasn't going to, the fruit of this calling wasn't going to happen now. It was going to happen years and years and years later when Isaiah was long gone and dead. Then I said, then Isaiah said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a mighty tree, like an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. So it's like one of those things, which, which prophet would you like to be? You know, you could take one of those internet tests where you say, I want to be this prophet. You fill out a couple different things and you say, oh, you're done and that. And this would have been a hard calling. Nobody really wants to be Isaiah based out of this. I always think, why can't I be like Jonah? Even though Jonah had some definite issues, all he had to do was show up in the place that God told him to show up. He had to say like uh, maybe a sentence that says repent, no, 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 turn. And all the people did it. All the people actually repented and turned and the city was spared. That's a pretty sweet calling, even though he had some internal issues. As far as the mission, pretty easy, easy mission. He listened to God eventually, although his heart was still at the end of the chapter far from God. Um, he did his mission. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and it was a success for that time. Another prophet, Obadiah, also preached that word. It didn't uh, uh, go well with Nineveh. But that's the, kind of, that's the kind of calling I want. That's the kind of calling we want, something where it's kind of easy, kind of uh, do this, and then it's over with. But Isaiah, Isaiah's mission calling is contrasted with Uzziah because Uzziah was a successful king for all these years, and then what happened is that he turned away from the Lord and ultimately that was failure. Isaiah's mission though, he was called to failure. He was called to failure by all man-made um, levels of, of uh, looking at it. And yet that would be success, to listen for the word of the Lord and to be obedient to that word. That is worship. That is worship. So where's Jesus in all this? Where is um, the good news of Christ in the midst of this, this calling, in the midst of this idea of worship 
and these contrasting models of it. Well, at the end of chapter 6, it talks about the holy seed is its stump. And then uh, a couple chapters later, um, it talks about for unto us a child is born in chapter 9. And then we get to chapter 11, the beginning of chapter 11. And it talks about this stump again. So part of Isaiah's calling was to um, preach the word, even though the people wouldn't listen to it until the land was laid desolate, until the stump was all that remained. But out of that stump, a netzer, a new shoot of life and growth was going to come out. And this passage in Isaiah 11 is often thought of in truth that it's a uh, foreshadowing of Christ. That is a foreshadowing of our king, both when he came 2,000 years ago and when he will return during the second coming. And so this is what it says in chapter 11 of Isaiah. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And then it goes into this part talking about things that shouldn't be reconciled together, actually being reconciled and living harmoniously together. My favorite one is where it talks about uh, a child playing near the, the, a snake nest. Like if you're a good parent, you don't let your child play near a snake nest nowadays. Okay, don't do that. If you were wondering, should I let my child play around a snake nest? Don't do that. But it uses this imagery that in the future, a child and a snake are going to be able to, to be reconciled together. That there's not going to be this animosity as, as symbolism. Um, there's going to be this reconciliation under this person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And so though all of the kings of Israel, even David, who was a man after God's own heart, greatly failed one way or another. They might have done what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but their whole heart at all times was not towards God the Father. And the good news about this stump that has then this shoot, this netzer, this new life that is foreshadowing Christ, both who he uh, was 2,000 years ago, who he is now and who he will be when he returns, is that that king is legit through and through. That that king, where earthly kings and earthly presidents and all this other stuff um, ultimately fail us, this king does not fail us. One of the most important parts in that he doesn't fail us is that he doesn't run after these other things. That he keeps his eyes on the Father. And that as the Messiah, as um, he reveals the Father to us, and he's not going around chasing these other things, these idolatrous things that we ourselves chased, that Uzziah chased, that his heritage chased, that men and women throughout all of history chased. And so in his purity and in his perfection and in his love and in his goodness, the good news is that we do have a king that um, is our strength. And we do have a king that has his eyes completely on God the Father, and it's God the Son. And we can actually rest in him and receive grace from him. And so we think about the teachings of Christ and we think about the provision of Christ. So in the teachings of Christ and who he is as a king, talking about uh, what kind of kingdom he's bringing, it's a better kingdom and it's a better kingdom. So um, you don't have to turn here, but I'm going to read a, a, a parable out of Luke. 
Luke chapter 18, which in the first service, I forgot what the reference was, so I just had to fly by the seat of my pants as far as what it was. But it's in Luke chapter 18. I'm in John. This has to do with worship and thinking about these two uh, contrasting views of worship. So verse 9. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Who does that sound like? Uzziah, because he trusted in himself. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like those other men and women, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. I'm awesome. It doesn't say that in the text, but I'm awesome. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. Woe is me, echoing from Isaiah. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Woe is me. Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And that's the movement of the kingdom. That's the movement of the kingdom of God from a place of humility into a place of exaltation. But it's not you exalting yourself. It is God saying, come closer, come closer. I'll take care of you. And so the teachings of Christ and his kingdom are this movement of moving from a place of humility to exaltation. And then the provision of Christ is this, that in Hebrews 10, that we can not only enter into worship humbly, we can actually enter into worship confidently. Why? Because of the blood of Christ. Because we're not actually entering into the holiness presence of God based off our own righteousness. What we're doing is that by faith and trust and belief in the Holy One, in God's Holy Son, that we can now enter into God's presence, that we can worship in spirit and in truth, that we can listen and obey to his commandments. And when we screw up, we have the blood as we confess and repent over and over again. And there's this grace in our lives that we can be with God, that we don't have to be this uh, uh, leper that is separated because of, our un- uh, because of us being unclean, that we can actually be near to the Father through the blood of Christ, that we can be near. But one of the things that Jesus says over and over again is repent for the kingdom of God is near. And so we know the source. We know how all this is going to happen, but are we also willing to repent? Are you, Parker Ford, as individuals corporately also willing to repent when God calls you to repentance? So out of, out of this text, I don't know what you actually need to repent for in your life. I don't know. But I want you to consider these two things based out of the text. One, thinking about um, Uzziah. Where are the places of entitlement that you have that says, because I've done this thing, because I've done this great thing, therefore I deserve blah, blah, blah. It could be something in your marriage. It could be something in your uh, singleness. It could be something with your work. 
It could be the fact that you've been faithful for all these years. And you know what? I deserve, uh, I deserve a little honor. I deserve a little honor. And here's the thing. It's not that you don't, I, and I, I don't know this uh, universally, it's not that you don't necessarily deserve honor. It's the fact that God is the one that's to bestow that honor upon you. That you yourself are not supposed to take up that honor. Let God take care of you. Let him be your strength. The other thing to consider from the life of Isaiah, as far as repentance, as far as changing our mind, would be this area of entitlement with my life, ministry, and work must be recognizably successful. That if I don't get some kind of external validation, well, then I must be doing something wrong. And yet it was external validation that would have told Isaiah that he was actually doing something wrong. It was the fact that if these people would have repented, maybe he wasn't actually saying what he was supposed to say. And so where is your validation coming from? Is it coming from God the Father and and Jesus Christ who is full of grace and truth? Is he the one validating you? Is he the one validating us? Is he the one validating Parker Ford? Are we looking for man's validation? Are we looking for worldly validation, whether it's in the religious system of church or whether it's in a secular business field of how church can be organized the right way? Like, where are we looking for validation? That if I do this, check, check, check marks, all these check marks, then I can be validated. Is that how God calls us into communion with himself? Is that how God actually uh, wants us to walk? So where are these areas of repentance? Where are these areas of entitlement that are in your life, that are in here at Parker Ford, that are at Cornerstone, that are in my life, that I need to be humble about, that I need to be like, woe is me. I don't even know how to change myself. Jesus, I need you to come and conform and transform me into your image, little by little, not with this big heavy weight of like, I need to be perfect now. And now, because if you're, if you're looking to be perfect now and now and now and then now and then, and then eventually now again, you're going to be in a rat race and you're not actually going to be resting in who Jesus is and you're not actually going to be resting in the holiness of God. You're going to be resting in your own righteousness and your own self. But the fact of the matter is, is that the Lord is to be our strength. And when the Lord is our strength, we can be confident because of Jesus Christ. We can be humble and receive strength from him. But when the Lord is not our strength, as we saw with Uzziah, things go wrong, things go bad. And that doesn't mean they'll happen right away, um, but there's something that we're going to pass along to our, our, our progeny, our kids. Whether it's legit kids, whether it's blood kids, or whether it's just the people that we influence too. And so it's the Lord that is our strength. You are not your own strength. I am not my own strength. So that's the word for today. Um, Josh, are we doing song, benediction, song? Can I do benediction after song? God, would you, um, by your Holy Spirit, um, would you speak to us uh, specifically and in community too as far as where are these areas of repentance that we need to um, walk in? What are we looking at that we need to take our eyes off of and we need to put our eyes on you? God, I pray um, against any kind of uh, uh, sensationalism that would have it be something, well, it's not that big of a deal, so I don't actually need to repent from that. 
God, you say that you have come, Jesus, um, to provide life and that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And when the enemy steals, he actually pilfers little by little. And it's those little by little places that joy is removed, that truth is removed, that love and grace is removed until we're like, how did that happen? And so would um, you by your spirit lead us and guide us in tenderness, but also in um, your strength to be able to look under the carpet, to look in, in those closets that we don't want to actually deal with? And then would you guide us to your throne? Thank you for the provision of Christ that we can enter into your throne room spiritually and worship you. And just even in part, you know, through a mirror dimly, see a little bit of your holiness. And thanks for that love that you show towards us, God. I pray that you would walk with us uh, and that you would be our strength and that other strength that we would take up, that we would lay that down. That we would listen to your word and follow your word even if it means failure. So yeah, be tender with us, God. We pray this in your name. Amen.